Jimmy Akin's Mysterious World is brought to you by the StarQuest Production Network and is made possible by our many generous patrons. If you'd like to support the podcast, please visit sqpn.com slash give. You're listening to episode 99 of Jimmy Akin's Mysterious World where we look at mysteries from the twin perspectives of faith and reason. In this episode, we're talking about Our Lady of Akita. I'm Dom Bettinelli, and joining me today is Jimmy Aiken. Hi, Jimmy. Howdy, Dom. Excited. It's episode 99. Yay. Just yes. one more to go for the big 100 in our mysterious celebration. I'm looking forward to that. In 1973, a Japanese nun began experiencing visions of her guardian angel. The Virgin Mary appeared to her on three occasions and gave her a series of revelations. Her convent's statue of the Virgin Mary appeared to weep more than 100 times with many witnesses. The sister herself experienced a miraculous healing. Many leaked the messages she received to those that had been given in Fatima, Portugal. And the local bishop even said that the message of Akita is the message of Fatima. So what happened? Was this a genuinely supernatural event? And what connection might it have to Fatima? That's what we'll be talking about on this episode of Jimmy Aiken's Mysterious World. So, Jimmy, why are we doing this particular episode today? Well, this is the month of May, which is traditionally a Marian month, so I wanted to devote an episode to the Virgin Mary, and we may do the same thing in future years. We'll see. Excellent. So, where is Akita? It's a city in the northern part of the main island of Japan, Honshu, and it has a population of about 300,000. And who was the main visionary in Akita? She was born Katsuko Sasagawa. She had been born prematurely and had many health problems growing up. She was raised in a Buddhist family, but when she was being treated for her medical problems, a Catholic nurse shared the gospel with her and she was baptized. Katsuko decided she wanted to live a consecrated life, and she joined a religious order, taking the religious name Agnes, uh, which is Latin for lamb, Agnus Dei, the Lamb of God. At first, she was a member of the Sisters of Junshin in Nagasaki, but she had a relapse of her health problems and even fell into a coma. She was given Lord's water to drink and immediately recovered. She then joined the Institute of the Handmaids of the Eucharist in Akita. This house had been founded by the local bishop, John Shojiro Ito, and so he had a special relationship with the convent. He would often go there. Sister Sasagawa had a lack of hearing in her left ear, and in January of 1973, she started going deaf in both ears. On Friday, March 16th, she answered a telephone call and realized that she had gone completely deaf between the time of hearing the phone ring and putting it to her ear. So it was very sudden. She was diagnosed then as in the process of going incurably deaf. She was hospitalized for 43 days, and she took a course in lip reading so she could figure out what people were saying to her. On June 12, 1973, Sister Agnes was alone in the convent while the other sisters were at a catechist meeting. She saw a bright light coming from the closed tabernacle in the chapel, and the same thing happened again the next morning. On June 28th, she saw a vision of angels adoring a brilliant host during Eucharistic adoration. She told the bishop, who was there at the time, to check and see if she might be hallucinating. 
He told her that it was possible that what she had seen was supernatural, but to be humble, to avoid thinking that she was a super special person, and to report further experiences to him. She continued to have visions, including visions of her guardian angel, who appeared to her in the form of her elder sister. Her elder sister had died a number of years earlier, and Sister Agnes had shared the gospel with her while she was ill, and her sister was baptized before she died. Despite this, the figure indicated that it wasn't her sister, it was in fact her guardian angel, who was just appearing in the form of her sister. Sister Agnes was still very new to the community, but the bishop gave her permission to take her vows. She then began to feel pain sometime later in the palm of her left hand, and two red scratches appeared on her palm in the form of a cross. Then a hole formed at the center of the cross, and blood flowed out of the hole. Sister Agnes thought this might be a sign of what a sinner she is. On June 6th, at about 3 a.m., she was led to the chapel by her guardian angel. There, she saw the wooden statue of the Virgin Mary by the altar bathed in brilliant light, and she received the first of three messages from Mary, who said, My daughter, my novice, you have obeyed me well in abandoning all to follow me. Is the infirmity of your ears painful? Your deafness will be healed, be sure. Be patient, it is the last trial. Does the wound of your hand cause you to suffer? Pray in reparation for the sins of men. Each person in this community is my irreplaceable daughter. Do you say well the prayer of the handmaids of the Eucharist? Then let us pray it together. The prayer that the handmaids said had been composed by the bishop, and Sister Agnes recited it with Mary, who instructed her to add the word truly when speaking of Jesus' presence in the Eucharist. Here's the prayer. Most sacred heart of Jesus, truly present in Holy Eucharist, I consecrate my body and soul to be entirely one with your heart, being sacrificed at every instant on all the altars of the world and giving praise to the Father, pleading for the coming of his kingdom. Please receive this humble offering of myself. Use me as you will for the glory of the Father and the salvation of souls. After they said the prayer, Mary said, Pray very much for the Pope, bishops, and priests. Since your baptism, you have always prayed faithfully for them. Continue to pray very much, very much. Tell your superior all that passed today and obey him in everything that he will tell you. He has asked that you pray with fervor. Soon, the statue of Mary developed a wound in its right hand, mirroring the one in Sister Agnes's left hand. At first, the wound on the statue looked like two dark crossed lines, which witnesses compared to the marks of a pen or pencil, and it had blood flowing from a central hole. Witnesses reported the wound changing with time, becoming carved as if it were cut with something like the tip of a blade into the flesh of Mary's hand, and it appeared that it looked like flesh around the edges, even though the hand of the statue was made of wood. On Friday, July 27th, the wound in Sister Agnes's hand was hurting worse than ever when the angel appeared and announced an end to her suffering, and the wound in her hand vanished, though the one on the statue remained for a time. On August 3rd, 1973, the first Friday of August, Sister Agnes received another message from the Virgin Mary, who said, My daughter, my novice, do you love the Lord? If you love the Lord, listen to what I have to say to you. It is very important. You will convey it to your superior. 
Many men in this world afflict the Lord. I desire souls to console him, to soften the anger of the Heavenly Father. I wish with my son for souls who will repair by their suffering and their poverty for the sinners and ingrates. In order that the world might know his anger, the Heavenly Father is preparing to inflict a great chastisement on all mankind. With my son, I have intervened so many times to appease the wrath of the Father. I have prevented the coming of calamities by offering him the sufferings of the Son on the cross, his precious blood, and beloved souls who console him, forming a cohort of victim souls. Prayer, penance, and courageous sacrifices can soften the Father's anger. I desire this also from your community, that it love poverty, that it sanctify itself, and pray in reparation for the ingratitude and outrages of so many men. Recite the prayer of the handmaids of the Eucharist with awareness of its meaning. Put it into practice. Offer in reparation whatever God may send for sins. Let each one endeavor, according to capacity and position, to offer herself entirely to the Lord. Even in a secular institute, prayer is necessary. Already, souls who wish to pray are on the way to being gathered together. Without attaching too much attention to the form, be faithful and fervent in prayer to console the Master. Then, after a silence, she said, Is what you think in your heart true? Are you truly decided to become the rejected stone? My novice, you who wish to belong without reserve to the Lord, to become the spouse, worthy of the spouse, make your vows knowing that you must be fastened to the cross with three nails. These three nails are poverty, chastity, and obedience. Of the three, obedience is the foundation. In total abandon, let yourself be led by your superior. He will know how to understand you and to direct you. On September 29th, Sister Agnes and another sister saw the statue of Mary shining with light, and afterward, the wound and the mark on its hand were gone. Later that day, the statue began to perspire. The nuns used pieces of cotton to try to mop off the perspiration, and afterwards they noticed that the cotton had a subtle floral fragrance, kind of like a rose, a violet, or a lily. By this point, all the sisters had reported seeing light shine from the statue, and other prodigies were occurring as well. On Saturday, October 13th, the anniversary of Our Lady of Fatima's last appearance, Sister Agnes received her third and final message from the Virgin Mary, who said, My dear daughter, listen well to what I have to say to you. You will inform your superior. Then, after a short silence, she said, As I told you, if men do not repent and better themselves, the Father will inflict a terrible punishment on all humanity. It will be a punishment greater than the deluge, such as one will never have seen before. Fire will fall from the sky and will wipe out a great part of humanity, the good as well as the bad, sparing neither priests nor faithful. The survivors will find themselves so desolate that they will envy the dead. The only arms which will remain for you will be the rosary and the sign left by my son, that is, the Eucharist. Each day, recite the prayers of the rosary. With the rosary, pray for the Pope, the bishops, and the priests. The work of the devil will infiltrate even into the church in such a way that one will see cardinals opposing cardinals, bishops against other bishops. The priests who venerate me will be scorned and opposed by their con conferees. Churches and altars sacked. The church will be full of those who accept compromises, and the demon will press many priests and consecrated souls to leave the service of the Lord. 
the demon will be especially implacable against souls consecrated to God. The thought of the loss of so many souls is the cause of my sadness. If sins increase in number and gravity, there will be no longer pardon for them. With courage, speak to your superior. He will know how to encourage each one of you to pray and to accomplish works of reparation. Sister Agnes asked who she meant by her superior, since she had three in the convent in addition to the bishop. And Mary responded, It is Bishop Ito who directs your community. And she smiled and then said, You still ha have still something to ask? Today is the last time that I will speak to you in living voice. From now on, you will obey the one sent to you and your superior. Pray very much the prayers of the rosary. I alone am able still to save you from the calamities which approach. Those who place their confidence in me will be saved. The one sent to you is a reference to a chaplain for the convent, Father Teiji Yasuda, who would arrive several months later in March of 1974. After Father Yasuda arrived on May 18, 1974, Sister Agnes's guardian angel came to her and said, Your ears will be opened in August or in October. You will hear, you will be healed. But that will last for only a moment because the Lord still wishes this offering and you will become deaf again. In seeing that your ears are restored again, the heart of those who still doubt will melt and they will believe. Have confidence and pray with good intention. Report what I have told you to him who directs you, but speak of it to no one else until it takes place. She then told Father Yasuda, although they otherwise kept it secret. It turned out that in August, Father Yasuda was hospitalized, so Sister Agnes was not healed then, perhaps because he wasn't there to serve as a witness to the fact that her healing had been previously predicted. In September, the angel appeared again and asked Sister Agnes to do three novenas, saying, Today or tomorrow, begin a novena, one of your choice, and then two more. During the time of these three novenas made before the Lord truly present in the Eucharist, your ears will be opened during the adoration, and you will hear. The first thing that you will hear will be the chant of the Ave Maria which you are accustomed to singing. Then you will hear the sound of the bell ringing for the benediction of the Most Blessed Sacrament. After the benediction, you will calmly ask the one who directs you to have a canticle of thanksgiving sung. Then it will be known that your ears hear again. At that moment, your body also will be healed and the Lord will be glorified. When he learns this, your superior, that is Bishop Ito, will be filled with courage, his heart will be consoled, and he will bear witness. However, the more you offer with good intention, the more there will be difficulties and obstacles. To overcome these exterior obstacles, pray with more confidence in interior unity. You will be protected, be sure. After a silence, the angel added, Your ears will hear only for a certain time. They will not yet be totally cured. You will become deaf again. The Lord still wishes this offering. Report what I have told you to him who directs you. So she told Father Yasuda, though again they kept it secret. On October 13th, 1974, again on the anniversary of Our Lady of Fatima's last appearance, the healing happened. Father Yasuda reports, That evening, exposing the Blessed Sacrament and incensing the altar, a thought crossed my mind. Could this not be the day? After the act of contrition, I returned to my place and joined in the rosary. Then came the chant of the Ave Maria. It was towards the end of the chant. Sister Agnes prostrated herself on the floor, and I saw that she was weeping. 
After the silent meditation and the usual prayers of lauds came the moment of the blessing with the Holy Eucharist. One heard the sharp tingle of the bell rung by one of the sisters. Raising the monstrance, I traced the sign of the cross, praying, Lord, give your grace according to your will. Then, kneeling before the blessed sacrament exposed, I began the divine praises. Blessed be God. At the end, I was getting ready to indicate a hymn. Sister Agnes, to whom I had turned my back, spoke, My father, may we sing the Te Deum, hymn number 12. I immediately turned around and said, Do you hear again? Yes, I have just received this grace, she answered, without need of having to read my lips. They then sang the hymn, and afterward they called the bishop on the phone. Father Yasuda reports, Immediately a telephone call was made to the bishop to give him the news. Sister Agnes herself, with transports of joy, told His Excellency everything and answered his questions. She was also able to telephone her parents and close relatives to tell them of her unbelievable cure. At the request of the bishop, I accompanied her to the Hospital of the Red Cross and to the Municipal Hospital of Akita to undergo medical examination. Both establishments certified that her ears were now normal. The healing lasted for more than five months until about Ash Wednesday of 1975. During this time, word started getting out into the broader community. In December 1974, the Japanese newspaper Catholic Graph published an article on all these events. Some Japanese Catholics were immediate believers in the events, some weren't sure what to think, and some were immediate skeptics. Some of the latter were severely opposed to the press reporting on these events, which they didn't believe in, and there was a big controversy. On January 4th, 1975, one of the sisters referred to in Father Yasuda's book as Sister K, that's the letter K to keep her anonymous, Sister K discovered the statue of Mary was weeping. Father Yasuda reports, Both eyes of the wooden statue shone, liquid accumulated, overflowed, streamed, exactly as would tears from the eyes of a human being. The tears appeared on the inside edge of the eyes where lacrimal glands would be located, flowed along the nose, the cheeks, then fell drop by drop, exactly like a human person who would cry while maintaining the same position. The drops hesitated on the chin like little pearls, accumulated on the collar of the garment, rolled on the cincture, followed the foldings of the robe, and fell down upon the globe. The scientific analysis of the liquid made immediately afterwards showed that it was indeed a question of human tears. The lacrimations had begun on the 4th of January, 1975, and they were succeeded at more or less regular intervals, sometimes day after day, until the 15th of September, 1981. The phenomenon occurred 101 times. Lacrimation is a word that means a shedding of tears. So when Father Yasuda says that there were 101 lacrimations, he means there were 101 times that the statue wept. Also, Sister Agnes's guardian angel delivered a message to help them interpret the tears, explaining, Do not be so surprised to see the Blessed Virgin weeping. She weeps because she wishes the conversion of the greatest number. She desires that souls be consecrated to Jesus and to the Father by her intercession. He who directs you told you during the last sermon today, your faith diminishes when you do not see. It is because your faith is weak. The Blessed Virgin rejoices in the consecration of Japan to her immaculate heart because she loves Japan, but she is sad to see that this devotion is not taken seriously. Even though she has chosen this land of Akita to give her messages, 
The local pastor doesn't dare to come for fear of what one would say. Do not be afraid. The Blessed Virgin awaits you all, her hands extended to pour forth graces. Spread devotion to the Virgin. She rejoices in the profession of the lay members consecrated today by her intercession in conformity to the spirit of your institute. You must not consider the lay members thus consecrated as of little importance. The prayer which you have the custom of saying, Grant to Japan the grace of conversion through the intercession of the Virgin Mary, is pleasing to the Lord. You who have believed while seeing the tears of Mary, when you have permission of your superior, speak to the greatest number in order to console the hearts of Jesus and Mary. Spread this devotion with courage for their greater glory. You will transmit my words to you, superior, and to him who directs you. The sisters had saved gauze that had been used to wipe the blood from the statue's hand, as well as cotton used to dab its perspiration and its tears, and they submitted these to a pathologist named Professor Sajisaka of the Faculty of Legal Medicine. They didn't tell him about the statue so as not to bias his results, and they just asked him what was on the materials that they submitted to him. He reported, The matter adhering on the gauze is human blood. The sweat and the tears absorbed in the two pieces of cotton are of human origin. At this point, we need to interrupt the narrative and explain an idea that some began to propose to explain what was happening with the statue. And the idea was that Sister Agnes may have had ectoplasmic powers. What are ectoplasmic powers? This isn't something from Ghostbusters, right? <laughs> it actually kind of is. Okay. Uh, ectoplasmic powers is a v- kind of a vague concept, but basically the proposal was a, she had a psychic ability. In the 19th and early 20th century, there were a group of people who were known as physical mediums. Most mediums, especially today, are what are called mental mediums. That is, they communicate with departed spirits mentally or telepathically. But the physical mediums claim to be able, with the help of the spirits, to manipulate matter and energy to produce physical effects. That's why they're called physical mediums. One of the things physical mediums claim to do was manifest a substance or energy that they referred to as ectoplasm. In Greek, ektos means outside or exterior, and plasma means something that's molded or something that's created. So ectoplasm was a substance or energy that mediums could manifest outside themselves for other people to see and even photograph. In practice, this was all fake. The mediums, the physical mediums, were using things like gauze and cheesecloth to fake ectoplasm. but When the statue of the Virgin Mary of Atikita started manifesting blood, sweat, and tears, a Mariologist in Japan proposed that Sister Agnes might have ectoplasmic powers and that this is what was responsible for the substances found on the statue. In short, it wasn't the result of a supernatural intervention by God. It was the result of psychic powers possessed by Sister Agnes. Specifically, the Mariologist seems to have proposed that maybe she was psychically causing her own blood, sweat, and tears to appear on the statue. And there are actually terms for that kind of thing in physical mediumship. If a physical medium causes an object to appear seemingly out of nowhere, it's called an apport. Apports appear. 
But if a physical medium causes an object to disappear, maybe to reappear elsewhere, it's called an asport. Now, there could be an English-Japanese translation problem because these are pretty obscure technical terms. But if the Mariologist was right that Sister Agnes was psychically causing her own blood, sweat, and tears to appear on the statue, it really wouldn't have anything to do with ectoplasm. Instead, you could say that these substances were asports on her end, things that disappeared from her body, and then became apports, things that appeared on the statue. You could also propose that she was perhaps moving them telekinetically from one place to another, either that or it would have to be some kind of teleportation of the substances. In either case, ectoplasm per se wouldn't be involved, but ectoplasmic is the term that stuck, at least in the English translations of the Japanese originals. Now, back to our story, because the scientific tests revealed something interesting about the substances found on the statue. They didn't all have the same blood type. Father Yasuda reports, Furthermore, and this was an amazing fact for one who knew the actual origin of the materials, when the blood was examined, it was found to belong to group B, and the sweat and tears belonged to group AB. Now, it is unthinkable and scientifically impossible that the same person belonged to different groups. The reason for this soon became apparent. It will be recalled that the supernatural nature of these events was the theory of ectoplasm, which suggested that Sister Agnes, in some mysterious way, transmitted her own blood through the air to the statue. However unreasonable it sounds, it is amazing how this completely unsupported theory dampened faith. And this happened because when the scientific results were published, the Catholic Graph in a first article pointed out that the blood was Group B, and Sister Agnes belongs to the same group. In a second article, they ignored the fact that the tears belonged to Group AB, preferring to retain a certain coherence with the preceding article. So Father Yusuda thought that the idea Sister Agnes was psychically causing substances from her own body to appear on the statue wasn't a sufficient explanation because it wouldn't explain why the tears and the perspiration had a different blood type than hers, even though the blood was of her type. Speaking of medical issues, on March 6, 1975, Sister Agnes's hearing began to deteriorate. As the angel had predicted, her cure would not be permanent at this time. She was taken to the Municipal Hospital of Akita and the Red Cross Hospital, which gave the following diagnosis. Bad hearing of both ears. Annex. Following the fall of auditive faculties, the level of perception has been null even in regulating the apparatus to the maximum. A regaining of the auditive faculties in the future is highly improbable. So she was indeed going deaf again, and it didn't look like it would be possible for her to recover. Meanwhile, the statue continued to weep, and people were very interested in seeing if there was a way that the lacrimations could have been faked. Here's the testimony of one eyewitness, Mr. Eiji Hiroi. When I heard the news, I also asked if it was not humidity because of the weather, and when I understood that this could not be the case as I observed the phenomenon more closely, I thought of the possibility of some fakery with a syringe. However, the second time, I clearly saw the tears flowing from the pupils and streaming one after the other. This time I could not remain insensible before a prodigy which surpassed all human comprehension. So Mr. Hiroi, like other witnesses, concluded that it was not the product of either humidity, 
uh, which would have affected more of the statue than just the eyes, nor was anyone using a syringe to produce the effect since the flow of tears was pulsed one tear after another with no syringe in view. At this point, Bishop Ito contacted the papal nuncio about what to do, and he recommended contacting the Archbishop of Tokyo and seeing about setting up a commission to investigate the phenomena. They did that, but the Mariologist who already believed that Sister Agnes had ectoplasmic powers was appointed as the head of the commission. He also was the only member of the commission to visit the convent. All the other commissioners relied on reports that he presented to them. In Father Yasuda's book, he doesn't name the Mariologist, but to make his hostility to the phenomena clear, he refers to the guy as the Inquisitor. He says the Inquisitor was determined to explain everything in natural terms. He did not believe the phenomena were of the devil. Instead, by reading Sister Agnes's personal diary, the Inquisitor concluded that she had a split personality, one part of which manifested as her guardian angel in the persona of her deceased sister. He also concluded that she had ectoplasmic powers and that she was subconsciously using them to protect her own blood, sweat, and tears onto the statue. Here's what Sister Sasagawa said about a day in which the Inquisitor grilled her for more than five hours. I saw coming the moment when I was going to be squarely labeled mentally ill, but this word was not pronounced a single time. It was when he declared that I had ectoplasmic powers that I began seriously to be disturbed. To my question as to what he meant by that, he explained at length that that came from the subconscious, and so on, and that all the mysterious phenomena were due to my subconscious action. Quote, then that comes from the devil, I said. In these conditions, I pray you to drive them from me. End quote. And then he says, it is not the devil. There is no fault on your part because it is subconscious. End quote. It's interesting that Sister Sasagawa's reaction was to want the priest to drive the devil from her if the phenomena were not genuine. Yet he assured her that it was a natural psychic phenomenon that she was using subconsciously and innocently. Not surprisingly, the commission that the Inquisitor headed came back with a negative finding, and as bishops are supposed to do in such situations, Bishop Ito required a suspension of devotion to the Virgin of Akita. But he himself doubted the conclusions of the commission, and he contacted the Congregation for the Doctrine of the Faith in Rome about it. They told him that if he wasn't satisfied with the commission's conclusions, he should initiate a new commission and get a second opinion on the matter. We're now getting up to 1981, eight years after the phenomena began, and the statue had been weeping off and on for most of this time. On August 22nd, 1981, the Queenship of Mary, the sisters and Father Yasuda carefully took a new sample of the tears and sent it to the pathologist, Professor Sajisaka, for testing. He reported... The object examined has adhering to it human liquids which belong to the blood group O. So now we have the third blood type. In addition to B and AB, we now have the third type O. When the second commission took its vote, four members were in favor of recognizing the events as supernatural, while three were not. The commission specifically said that it couldn't come to a definite conclusion based on the lacrimations alone, something, some other kind of miracle was needed. With the commission that closely split, the bishop abstained from making a decision. 
But then two other miracles happened. On the Feast of the Annunciation, March 25, 1982, Sister Agnes's guardian angel announced that the time was approaching for her hearing to be cured, and not just the provisional cure that had happened before and that she'd been told would be provisional. On May 1st, the angel reiterated this and said that it would happen that month. So it's going to happen in May. Then on May 30th, the healing occurred. Father Yasuda reports, After conducting more than an hour of adoration, I took the monstrance of the Blessed Sacrament, blessed the assemblage, then the bell sounded. At that precise moment, the ears of Sister Agnes opened as the preceding time. When we had finished the divine praises, I heard her speak to me as before. I have just received the grace of healing. I ask that one recite the Magnificat in thanksgiving. So just like before, the first sound that Sister Agnes heard was the sound of the bell ringing in the chapel. She was then taken to the Red Cross Hospital, and they confirmed that her hearing was back, even though they previously had said she wasn't likely to recover it. That was the first miracle. The second was the healing of a brain tumor in Korea. Father Yasuda reports, Madam Teresa Chun, 46 years of age and mother of four children, was hospitalized from the spring of 1981 for a cerebral tumor. Treatment was of no avail, and she fell into a coma. Some believers who had made a pilgrimage to Akita gave the photo of the Virgin to the family, counseling them to ask her aid. The oldest sister and godmother of the sick person placed a picture of Our Lady of Akita on her pillow, inviting friends and nurses also to pray. It was a Catholic cl clinic. At sunrise on the 4th of August, she regained consciousness in an inexplicable manner. Mrs. Chun was a recent Catholic convert who did not know about Akita, and x-rays revealed her, her brain tumor was totally gone. The x-ray revealed a complete cure. After this miracle, the Church of Korea established a committee which met on March 3, 1983, in order to work towards the canonization of the 103 Korean martyrs. The authorities of the local church recognized that the miraculous cure of Madame Chun was due to the intercession of Our Lady of Akita and sent a letter to the Vatican signed by the bishops and members of the committee. In light of these two healings, Bishop Ito felt he had what was needed to give formal approval to the events at Akita, and on April 22, 1984, he issued a pastoral letter declaring them to be authentically supernatural, meaning that they were of God. All right, so before we move on to our theories about Akita, I do want to stop for a moment and thank our patrons who make this show possible, including Dennis, Todd, Rosemary, Matthew, and Bob. Their generous donations at sqpn.com give make it possible for us to continue Jimmy Akin's Mysterious World and all the shows at StarQuest. You can join them by visiting sqpn.com give. So, Jimmy, what theories are there about Akita? There are two basic theories about the cause of the events. They might be due to natural, normal causes or due to non-natural, paranormal causes. If they're due to natural causes, explanations might include things like imagination, hallucination, mental illness, somnambulism, and fraud. If the events were due to paranormal causes, there are three possibilities which Bishop Ito mentions in his pastoral letter, saying, If these events are not natural, one could envisage three causes. They would be due to one, ectoplasmic power of a human being, two, 
machinations of the devil, or three, a supernatural intervention. The first of these, ectoplasmic power of a human being, essentially means due to psychic phenomena, which would fall within the reason perspective, so that's where we'll consider that. The other two non-natural explanations, God and the devil, belong to the faith perspective. There are also other faith perspective questions we need to consider, such as the meaning of the revelations, their relationship to Fatima, and the nature of the chastisement that Mary predicted. What can we say about Akita from the reason perspective? What are the arguments that can be made that it was all due to natural phenomena? If I were to make a case for Akita being due to natural causes, I would quickly set aside several possibilities. You might be able to explain the messages from the guardian angel and the Virgin Mary as due to imagination, hallucination, or mental illness. Uh, Oh, and by the way, Bishop Ito also remarks in his pastoral letter that I have known Sister Agnes Sesagawa for more than 10 years. She is a woman sound in spirit, frank and without problems. She has always impressed me as a balanced person. Consequently, the messages she says that she's received did not appear to me to be in any way the result of imagination or hallucination. So he thinks that they weren't. But even if they were, it wouldn't explain everything that happened. Uh, You need to turn to additional explanations. For example, the wound in Sister Sasagawa's hand, that's, that's not just a product of imagination or hallucination. Other people saw that. You could explain it naturally, maybe, as as something that was due to somnambulism, meaning that she did it to herself in her sleep, or she did it under the influence of mental illness. And you might even explain one or two of the manifestations concerning the sta- the statue that way. I mean, Sister Sasagawa could have sleepwalked to the statue or maybe done things to it without realizing it under the influence of mental illness, you know, like using a pen or pencil to make a mark on its hand or things like that. But the number of incidents, over a hundred where it wept, that's not sleepwalking or someone doing things under mental illness without realizing it. Also, the presence of three blood types, three of the four blood types, B, A, B, and O, that also takes us beyond the realm of just somnambulism or mental illness or imagination. While there are rare cases where a person can have a mixed blood type, it is very improbable that Sister Sasagawa could have produced three on her own. So that would focus our attention for a natural explanation of these events on the idea of fraud. While there could have been something wrong with the blood tests that produced the three different types, it would be more likely, if this is natural, that Sister Sasagawa had at least two confederates in faking the statue phenomena. So she was blood type B, the confederates, one of them would have had AB, and one of them would have had O. In general, I'm not particularly impressed with reports of weeping statues and icons, because as far as I know, this is a recent phenomenon in the history of the church. It doesn't have a parallel in the Bible or in the church fathers. And when recent cases have been examined, some have been shown to be fakes. In fact, it's easy to see how cases of a weeping statue or icon could be faked using an eyedropper or a syringe. Nevertheless, here's what Bishop Ito had to say about these phenomena. The series of events relative to the statue of the Virgin Mary include the flowing of blood from the right hand of the statue, also a perspiration spreading a sweet perfume, perspiration so abundant that it was necessary to wipe it away from the statue. 
However, the most remarkable fact, in our opinion, and the most evident, is the overflowing of an aqueous liquid, similar to human tears, from the eyes of the statue of our Holy Mother. This began on the 4th of January of the Holy Year 1975, and some tears flowed 101 times until the 15th of September 1981, the Feast of Our Lady of the Seven Dollars. I was able to witness myself four lacrimations. About 500 persons have also been eyewitnesses. I twice tasted this liquid. It was salty and seemed to me truly human tears. The scientific examination of Professor Sajisaka, specialist in legal medicine in the Faculty of Medicine at the University of Akita, has proved that this liquid is indeed identical to human tears. It is beyond human powers to produce water where there is none, and I believe that to do this, the intervention of a non-human force is necessary. Moreover, it is not the question of pure water, but of a liquid identical to liquid secreted by a human body. It flowed only from the eyes of the statue as tears flow, and that more than 100 times over a period of several years and before many numerous witnesses. It has been established that it could not have been by trickery or human maneuvers. So, according to Bishop Ito, it was established that this could not have been produced by trickery. Especially in light of the three blood types, I'd be curious to know whether he had any professional magicians examine the possibility of trickery. But I wasn't there, and I can only work with the data at hand. It is possible that God could create these three human blood types, maybe to signify how Mary is a universal mother of all people, or maybe something there was wrong with the tests that identified those blood types. What's more impressive to me than the weeping statue are the miraculous cures associated with the events. Bishop Ito writes, Furthermore, there are numerous reports of miraculous cures of diseases, such as cancer, thanks to the mediation of the Virgin of Akita. I'm going to mention two, the most proving. One is the sudden cure of a South Korean woman, Mrs. Teresa Chun Sun Ho. Following cancer of the brain, she was reduced to a vegetative existence from July 1981. The Virgin of Akita appeared to her and told her to get up. Almost at once, she was able to get up, having entirely recovered her health. This healing took place while priests and Korean women prayed to the Virgin of Akita for her cure and asked for a miracle in view of the canonization of the Korean martyrs. There are x-ray photographs of this person taken during the sickness and after the complete cure. The x-ray photographs show her cure even to the eyes of non-professionals. The authenticity of the x-rays is attested to by Dr. M.D. Tongwoo Kim of the Hospital of St. Paul in Seoul, who took these x-rays, and also by Father Roman Thiessen, STD, President of the Ecclesiastical Tribunal of the Archdiocese of Seoul. All of the records have been sent to Rome. I went myself to Seoul, South Korea last year and was able to interview the cured woman involved. I could thus assure myself of the truth of the facts of her miraculous cure. For her part, the person came to Akita to thank our Holy Mother. The second case is the complete cure of the total deafness of Sister Agnes Sasagawa. And concerning Sister Sasagawa's cure, Bishop Ito wrote about how the angel had predicted that she would be cured, and then... Effectively on the last Sunday of the month of Mary, the 30th of May, 1982, Feast of Pentecost, at the moment of benediction of the Blessed Sacrament, her ears were cured completely and instantly. 
That same evening she telephoned me and we conversed normally. On the following 14th of June, I visited Dr. Arai of the Eye and Ear Division of the Hospital of the Red Cross of Akita, who had verified the complete deafness of Sister Agnes Sasagawa at the moment she arrived in Akita nine years before. I asked his impression. He expressed his amazement at this complete cure. Dr. Sawada of the Rosai Hospital of Joetsu, who had been first to examine her when she became deaf, has now issued a medical certificate dated June 3, 1982, attesting that following minute examinations of her auditive capacities, he certifies that there is no further anomaly in the two ears of Sister Agnes Sasagawa. So we have two notable cures that medical science can't explain. The first was the cure of the Korean woman's brain tumor, which disappeared on the x-rays, and the second was Sister Agnes's total deafness being cured. Could either of these have been faked? If so, the easier of the two to fake would have been the deafness cure. To fake that, Sister Sasagawa would have had to pretend to be deaf for an extended period of time and then suddenly announce her cure, at which point she stopped pretending. But there are several problems with that theory. First, she would have had to fake her initial hearing loss for an extended period of time without giving herself away. And that's hard to do living in community. It's hard to imagine that for months and later in the second deafness, for years, people would occasionally be making sudden noises around her, you know, doors being slammed and objects being dropped or speaking to her when her back was turned. And yet she would never jump or respond reflexively in a way the other nuns could see. Second, she would have had to fake total hearing loss on several tests, and that should have been pretty hard to do. From checking I did on how hearing tests work, they apparently test you at levels above 90 decibels, which is, the, which is louder than a bulldozer, and you'd have to fake passivity to really high volume levels. In fact, the diagnosis we read earlier mentioned that they ran the machine all the way up to its maximum, and still they couldn't get a response. Also, although I don't know that they did this, they may have tried unexpected noises as a startle test. I do know that today it's basically impossible to fake a hearing test because audiologists can do a bunch of reflex tests that you can't cheat. They even use electrodes. They don't have to go inside you, but they use electrodes to look at the electrical activity of your brain stem to see if you're hearing the sounds they play for you. I don't know if they were doing that in the 1970s and 1980s in Japan, but they could have. Third, why would she go through the months-long effort of playing deaf when she was actually hearing? That would have been incredibly frustrating to her, to be a hearing person pretending to be deaf for months and later for years. And then fourth, and this one is especially noteworthy, why would she make her initial cure only five or six months long and then go on to pretending to be deaf for seven years? from 1975 to 1982. It would have been so much simpler to announce a permanent cure the first time and be done with it. I mean, why would a hearing person want to pretend to be deaf for seven years? How did she not get caught all that time? So even though it might have been possible for her to fake these cures, it seems implausible on its face that she would do so or that she'd be able to get away with it given the amount of time involved. It seems more reasonable to take the medical professionals who did the testing at their word. She was totally deaf on two occasions, and then she was cured on two occasions. The harder cure to fake would be the disappearance of Mrs. Chun's brain tumor. 
For that to be faked, you'd need a conspiracy involving the radiology staff in Korea, who either would have needed to produce fake x-rays showing a tumor that wasn't there, or fake x-rays with the tumor missing. You'd also need Mrs. Chun, who was a very new Christian, to agree to pretend to be in a coma for months, which is very unlikely. And you'd need her to fool the doctors and nurses who treated her, or you'd need them to be in on the plot both of which are also very unlikely. So once again, it seems more reasonable to take the medical professionals at their word that she had a brain tumor and that it mysteriously vanished when they prayed to Our Lady of Akita. Let's clarify something about our approach in this episode. I just asked you if these two cures could have been faked. We also considered whether other aspects of the situation could have been produced by fraud. We aren't trying to be irreverent by that. Can you explain why we consider these ideas? Unlike some shows, Mysterious World isn't a devotional program, it's a detective program. Our job is to evaluate mysteries from the perspectives of faith and reason. That means looking at possible natural explanations and giving them a fair, unbiased consideration. And the church is on board with that. That's why the church has bishops convene commissions whose job is to do exactly what we're doing here, looking for possible natural explanations and give them a fair shake. Only if the inquiries come to the conclusion that natural explanations don't work is the bishop supposed to endorse a supernatural explanation. So we're doing what the church does. It's wonderful if we find a particular mystery that has a supernatural explanation and devotion naturally grows from there. But the natural explanations need to be considered and eliminated first. That's not being impious. Being impious would involve dismissing the possibility of a supernatural explanation and declaring that something just must be natural. Instead, what we're doing is providing rational grounding for piety by making sure we have good evidence for the supernatural. What's your personal sense about the balance of evidence from the reason perspective in this case? I'm somewhat torn. My spidey sense goes off whenever I hear about a weeping or bleeding statue or icon because that's easy to fake and they often have been faked. The presence of the three blood types amplifies that concern. On the other hand, the bishop says that this happened in ways such that it has been established that it could not have been by trickery or human maneuvers. So, you know, they apparently investigated that possibility and it came up short. And the really hard thing to explain is the two medical cures, especially the disappearance of the brain tumor. You could still say that the brain tumor disappeared due to natural processes, that Mrs. Chun's body reabsorbed it in the process known as autophagy, but that doesn't explain the timing of the incident, that she just happened to be cured and emerged from the coma after they prayed to Our Lady of Akita. So let's go with the bishop's conclusion that the natural explanations fail in this case. Before proceeding to the faith perspective, we should mention the paranormal explanation that the bishop considered, the idea that Sister Agnes might have had ectoplasmic powers that psychically caused her blood and tears to appear on the statue. What can we say about that? If psychic powers exist, they would fall under the heading of the reason perspective, so it's appropriate we consider them here. Also, I find it really interesting that the lead theologian on the original commission commission had ectoplasmic powers as his main theory of what was happening rather than the supernatural, that displays a ex- significant openness to the idea of psychic phenomena on the part of this Japanese Mariologist. 
In his book, Father Yasuda several times argues against that possibility, appealing to the three blood types. He pointed out that Sister Agnes is type B, so the presence of A, B, and O blood types couldn't be due to her psychically moving her own blood to the statue. But I don't think that's decisive because A, we don't know how ectoplasmic powers would work, and maybe they can produce different blood types. B, she could have moved somebody else's blood and tears. And C, if we're going with the ectoplasmic powers hypothesis, maybe the others in the convent were so caught up in the event that they used their ectoplasmic powers to move some of their own blood, sweat, and tears. So maybe it wasn't just her. When the bishop considers the possibility of ectoplasmic powers, though, he writes, I do not know well what could be ectoplasmic power. However, certain individuals say that Agnes Katsuko Sasagawa, member of the Handmaids of the Sacred Heart of Jesus and the Holy Eucharist, and who was the one linked most especially to the events of Akita, might possess such powers permitting her to transfer her own tears to the statue. For that, however, it would be necessary, according to Professor Itaya of the Tokyo Institute of Technology, a specialist in this field, that the interested person use his or her willpower in order to cause such powers to exert any influence. Now, the tears have flowed from the statue when Agnes Sasagawa was sleeping, and even when she was not aware of weepings of the statue of the Holy Mother, because she was at home with her family, 400 kilometers from Akita. I think, therefore, that the hypothesis of ectoplasmic power must be rejected. I like how the bishop says, I do not know well what could be ectoplasmic power. I, I don't know well either. <laughs> um, he ends up rejecting the idea for two reasons, though. First, the weeping occurred when Sister Agnes was sleeping or away from the convent. And second, he's been assured by Professor Itaya of the Tokyo Institute of Technology that Sister Agnes would have had to use her ectoplasmic powers deliberately in order to achieve this effect, and she didn't. Personally, I'm not convinced by either argument. One presupposes that ectoplasmic powers couldn't be used over long distances, and we don't know that. And the other presupposes that ectoplasmic powers have to be used with conscious deliberation, and I don't know that either. However, I am persuaded by another argument. I don't have reason to think that ectoplasmic powers exist, especially not ectoplasmic powers in the proper sense. The physical mediums of the 19th and early 20th centuries who claimed to have them were fakes. Like we mentioned, they used cheesecloth. They used other stuff like gloves and dolls to fake ectoplasm. If you look on the photos on Wikipedia's ectoplasm page, you can see how fake everything looks. Modern parapsychology researchers under controlled lab conditions have not been able to duplicate what the mediums claimed, and basically today the physical mediums have, have basically vanished. It's one thing to say that we may have evidence for telepathy or precognition or telekinesis, but the idea of humans having a natural psychic ability to materialize physical objects out of the air, that's a claim of a wholly different order and it's not supported by any laboratory evidence. So. I don't think ectoplasmic powers exist as a psychic phenomenon. What if Sister Agnes or the other nuns were just telekinetic and subconsciously moved their own blood or tears to the statue? That would be a more defensible claim, since parapsychological researchers do report significant, statistically significant evidence for telekinesis in some studies. Whether you believe it, it's another, another matter, but they do report it in some studies. And this would mean that the Japanese theologian at least if the English translations are right, 
was mistaken in raising the possibility of ectoplasm. What he really should have been talking about was telekinesis. It is often thought that you need to make a conscious effort to affect things telekinetically, but that's actually not agreed upon among parapsychological researchers. There are proposals that telekinesis or remote perturbation, as it's sometimes called, can be exercised subconsciously. Consequently, I can't rule out the possibility that if telekinesis exists, it could have been used subconsciously to achieve these effects. This gets us into what can be called the interpretation problem, which deals with how we're supposed to interpret rare and mysterious phenomena. For example, is this thing psychic or is it supernatural? A general principle is that we should take phenomena at face value until we have reason to take them otherwise. In this case, the phenomenon did not present itself as psychic in nature. The nuns weren't working in a parapsychology lab trying to produce telekinetic effects. Instead, with visions of Mary and the guardian angel, we have a phenomenon that presents itself as supernatural rather than psychic. So we ought to take it at face value unless we have evidence otherwise. It's okay. This is not a psychic thing. This is a supernatural thing. All right. So that brings us to the faith perspective. What can we say about Akita from the faith perspective? What did the bishop say about the idea that it was produced by the devil? He wrote, There are also persons who suppose that it is a question of a machination of the devil. If that is the case, it should lead to evil effects relating to the faith of the people. Not only have there not been such effects, but quite to the contrary, there have been favorable effects. For example, Mr. Yoichi Imatani, whose Catholic wife had for a long time recommended conversion, decided to receive baptism after witnessing the tears flow from the statue. In another case, a former believer, separated from the church for several decades, returned to the regular practice of our religion after seeing the tears. And again, following a visit to the place, yet another believer resolved to work in evangelization. Alone, she created two circuit churches by offering up her financial resources and has continued this work to the present day. He also cited the two miraculous cures and concluded, Such facts propitious to the faith and to physical health exclude that the events of Akita could be of diabolical origin. There remains, therefore, only the possibility of a supernatural intervention. And by supernatural intervention, he means something produced by God. He therefore gave his official authorization to Akita, stating, After long prayer and mature reflection, I hand down the following conclusions in my position as Bishop of Niigata. 1. After the investigation conducted up to the present day, I recognize the supernatural character of a series of mysterious events concerning the statue of the Holy Mother Mary, which is found in the convent of the Institute of the Handmaids of the Sacred Heart of Jesus in the Holy Eucharist at Yuzawadai, Soogawa, Akita. I do not find in these events any elements which are contrary to Catholic faith and morals. 2. Consequently, I authorize throughout the entire diocese the veneration of the Holy Mother of Akita while awaiting what, that the Holy See publishes definitive judgment on this matter. He also added the usual type of qualifier. And I ask that it be remembered that even if the Holy See later publishes a favorable judgment with regard to the events of Akita, it is a question only of a private divine revelation. Christians are bound to believe only the content of public divine revelation closed after the death of the last apostle, which contains all that is necessary for salvation. 
Nevertheless, the Church, until now, has equally made much of private divine revelations as they fortify the faith. So, Akita is approved, but not mandatory for belief. Let's look at some of the implications of Akita from the faith perspective. Two of the things it refers to are the anger of God and making reparations to him. How should we understand those? Since the age of the Church Fathers, Catholic theologians have understood that since God has every possible perfection, it's not possible for him to be literally injured by our actions or to be angry with them in the human sense. Consequently, when we read about God's anger, we need to understand it as a symbolic expression of how bad our sins are. You know, if God were a human, he would be really angry with our sins. It's a way of bringing home to us the fact that we need to repent and what will happen if we don't. Similarly, when we talk about making reparations to God, it's not like we're literally soothing his anger after injuring him. Instead, it's showing that we've sincerely repented and want to do his will. And we ask him to forgive us and spare both ourselves and other people from the consequences of our sins. And when we have depictions of saints in heaven experiencing negative emotions like the statue of Mary weeping, that's also symbolic. We know that those in heaven don't have negative emotions, for as John tells us in Revelation, God will wipe away every tear from their eyes, neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. That's Revelation 21.4, if you want to look it up. So it's another symbolic way of communicating the gravity of our sins. If Mary were on earth and not in a glorified state, people's sins are bad enough that she could weep over them. What about when Our Lady of Akita says, if sins continue to be committed further, there will no longer be pardon for them? Isn't God willing to forgive our sins whenever we repent? Yeah, he's always willing to forgive us and take us to heaven. But if you continue to sin and don't repent, even to the point of death, then at that point there isn't forgiveness, since you need to repent and accept God's offer of grace in this life. There's also another possible understanding of this statement, because even when we are forgiven, it doesn't mean that we'll always be able to avoid the consequences of our sins here on earth. This is a mode of language that's found in the Bible, and especially in the Old Testament, which is focused more on deliverance from problems in this life rather than the next. In the Old Testament, forgiveness tends to be equated with not dying or experiencing bad things, you know, like getting injured or sick or something. And that seems to be a possible understanding of what's going on here. Even though God is always willing to forgive people and take them to heaven when they repent, they may have to experience some consequences of their sins in this life. For example, if you've just pushed the launch button for the nuclear missiles, you may instantly repent of that and go to heaven, but it doesn't mean the missiles won't start falling and that you won't be killed in a counterstrike. So by saying there won't be pardon for them may just mean you're going to have to deal with the consequences of what you've done, like starting a nuclear war, for example. On the subject of nuclear war, do you think that's one of the things that Akita predicted? Absolutely. The second revelation said that a great chastisement was coming, and the third revelation spoke of it as worse than the great flood with fire falling from the sky, killing a large portion of humanity, both the good and the bad, with the survivors envying the dead. Given the time that the prophecy was given in the Cold War and the specific history of Japan, 
with the atomic bombings of Hiroshima and Nagasaki, where Sister Agnes had initially begun her religious life in Nagasaki, I think uh, that atomic war is the natural understanding of this text. So I think Akita predicted an atomic war, but the prediction was conditional. Mary said that it would happen if men do not repent and better themselves and urged praying the rosary to avoid it. And I think that's what happened. As we talked about in episodes 64 and 65 on the third secret of Fatima, it appears that a nuclear war would have started in the 1980s, but people repented enough and prayed enough and it was averted. And I think Akita is talking about the same war. That brings us to the connection between Akita and Fatima. What can you say about that? It wasn't hard for people to see a connection between them. The third revelation of Akita occurred on October 13th, 1973, which was the anniversary of Our Lady of Fatima's final appearance. Then a year later, same anniversary, same day, Sister Agnes's hearing was temporarily restored. Also, by this point, the second part of the secret of Fatima was publicly known. And it so people knew that Fatima involved the idea of Russia spreading its errors and starting wars with nations being annihilated. And that was a, the big concern at the time that Russia and the U.S. would have a nuclear war. Both apparitions also involved the Virgin Mary stressing praying the rosary to avoid future calamities. And there are other points of contact, too. So it was natural for people back in the 70s to connect Akita and Fatima. And that's even without knowing what the third secret was at the time, because it's easy to look at the message of the two and say, okay, this is fundamentally the same content here. Thus, when Bishop Ito was asked, what is the message of Our Lady of Akita? He said, it is the message of Our Lady of Fatima. They're both advising the same things, warning about the same things. Then in 2000, when the third part of the secret was announced, it was all the more clear. And because it looked based on the third secret of Fatima, that Fatima also involved a direct prophecy of a nuclear war that was averted by Marian intervention, as we discussed in episode 65. So does that mean that the messages of Akita and Fatima are identical in every detail? No, they obviously contain different elements. For example, Akita predicts problems in the church in a way that Fatima didn't. Fatima did discuss problems in the church, but the focus was more on the persecution of the Pope and on other church authorities. We also have that here in Akita, where Mary says that churches and altars will be sacked, referring to some of the persecutions that happened in the 20th century and that are still happening in some parts of the world today. So both apparitions did deal with persecution of the church. But we also have Akita referring to cardinals opposing other cardinals and bishops confronting other bishops. And it refers to priests who venerate Mary being scorned by their conferees and to the church having people in it who compromise too much and to priests and religious leaving the service of the Lord. And that was certainly happening by the mid-1970s, and it continued to play out afterwards, but those things weren't mentioned in Fatima. Not, certainly not in the same way. But neither Akita nor Fatima predicted anything like a worldwide apostasy. No, they, they predicted problems in the church, but not an apostasy. Then to what extent are the events predicted by Akita still in the future? It's hard to say. To the extent that the message of Akita reflects the message of Fatima, it seems that we've already lived through the relevant period of history. 
Uh, John Paul II performed the consecration Our Lady requested, and the nuclear war of the 1980s was averted. Russia was converted from starting wars, and the world was given a period of peace. If the war Akita was talking about is the same one, then it seems we're past the danger point, at least for that war. This also points up something else. In Catholic prophetic circles, you often hear about an event called the chastisement, and people have a bunch of different ideas about it. The second revelation of Akita refers to a great chastisement, and the third reveals it as the nuclear war that we've been discussing. So it would seem that the chastisement has been averted, at least the one that Akita talked about. And if you want to talk about other chastisements, you're going to need to appeal to things other than Akita. When it comes to the problems in the church, those were already in motion when the Akita revelations were given, and they continued to play out over the next four decades. You know, in the 1970s, there were lots of priests and religious who started leaving. Some of the problems are still with us today, you know, because the same kinds of problems occur in every age of the church. Cardinals and bishops always get into scraps with each other. Just read church history. But it's harder to say that the problems the church has today are necessarily the same ones being discussed at Akita. You know, the mass abandonment of priestly ministry and religious life that Akita talked about has largely played itself out. That really was happening in the 70s and the 80s. But today, by today, the bulk of priests and religious who were going to leave have already left. We're not seeing the same kind of departure rates that we saw back then. So it seems to me that Akita, like Fatima, may have been addressing concerns that largely came to a head in the second half of the 20th century. By this point, we may have moved beyond the window that the apparition was discussing, in which case we're now dealing with fresh challenges. All right, Jimmy, so what's your bottom line on Our Lady of Akita? I'm not entirely comfortable with all of the evidence concerning Akita. However, the medical cures of Sister Agnes's deafness and especially Mrs. Chun's brain tumor are very impressive. I don't think psychic powers or the devil were at work in this phenomenon. I think that the message of Akita is consistent with the faith and that it coheres remarkably well with the message of Fatima. And I'm grateful that we avoided nuclear war in the 1980s. And I think that we may be living in an age later than the ones Akita discussed. Is there anything else we need to cover? Yes, there are two things. First, as always, when researching apparitions, it's very important to exercise critical thinking and make sure of your sources, because there's a lot of sloppy reasoning and misinformation out there on the apparitions rumor net. For example, while researching this episode, I ran across rumors on the internet that Sister Agnes, who turns 89 years old this month, so happy birthday, Sister Agnes, <laughs> that she's no longer living in her community. Specifically, the claim was that she got kicked out for being too orthodox. But that's just false. I contacted the handmaids of the Sacred Heart of Jesus in Akita, and Sister Agnes is most definitely still living there. So that's an example of how the apparition's rumor net can contain misinformation. And what's the second thing we should be aware of? Late last year, some websites, some English language websites, started reporting that Sister Agnes had received a new revelation. According to the stories, she was in the presence of another sister when she saw her guardian angel appear again. The angel said something private to her, 
and then gave a message for everybody. The message for everybody was to put on ashes and say a penitential rosary daily. Sister Agnes was also asked to become like a child and make sacrifices every day. Allegedly, the sister who was with her asked if it was okay to tell people about this, and Sister Agnes said yes, and to ask people to pray that she may be able to assume a childlike disposition and make daily sacrifices. However, the details on this are unclear, and thus far, I have not been able to verify that this happened. It could be just another product of the apparition's rumor net. In any event, it's just a general call to repentance and prayer rather than a dramatic prophecy like what was reported back in the 1970s. Okay. And what further resources are we going to offer the listeners this week? We'll have links to Father Teiji Yasuda's book, Akita, The Tears and the Message of Mary. So he was the chaplain, the priest who was involved in all this. You can get his firsthand account. Also, we'll have links to episode 84 on private revelations. We'll have Bishop Ito's 1984 pastoral letter on Akita. We'll also have a link to a PDF of Father Yasuda's book and a book by John Haffert called The Meaning of Akita. He translated Father Yasuda's work into English at the request of Bishop Ito, and he also wrote a companion shorter book. We'll have links to articles on Our Lady of Akita, ectoplasm, a link to the 1978 CDF letter on how to evaluate private revelations, and also to a video on problems faking a hearing test, how they will catch you out. Excellent. All right. Thank you. That's a great overview of that mystery. Uh, let's move on to our mysterious feedback. This time we're getting feedback on the episode on werewolves. And Ryan Delaney writes on YouTube, loving the soundboard work on the recent episodes. I know Dom is doing a great <laughs> job on that. I've been harvesting uh, sound clips to that seem relevant to put in various episodes. And it's something we're feeling out to try to add a little more texture to the audio of the show. So we appreciate the feedback on that. Yes. And we continue to experiment with the format. This episode, we really didn't have any good sound clips. I, you know, partially because it, all the good sound clips are in Japanese. Right. And this is an English language show, but we continue to experiment with that. So thank you. Glad you're enjoying it. Uh, Brooke Kennel writes on YouTube regarding Wikipedia. I think people would be a bit surprised by how often academics who don't like to admit it to the general public actually do use Wikipedia as a starting point in research. It won't get cited, of course, but it provides a generally good overview of a subject and can point you to literature that actually is peer reviewed. It may contain some inaccuracies, but as Jimmy pointed out, so do many books. I've noticed that Aquinas is commonly misrepresented even in medieval scholarship. I think this may be because he does such a good job of describing objections to his actual position that people can get confused. Yeah, and I agree with Brooke. Wikipedia is a useful resource. Not everything is perfect, but you can't let the perfect become the enemy of the good if you want to get things done. And I also agree with Brooke. You can't be an expert in any field without running into errors, even in scholarly works in that field. I spot them all the time in fields that I have an expertise in, even, you know, professional scholars writing stuff. And it's like, oh, you should know better than that. Yes. All right. Uh, ne this next one, be prepared. Uh, Papa Lazarou on YouTube writes, I used to be a werewolf, but I'm all right now. <laughs> Glad to hear it, Papa Lazarou. <laughs> and then Robert writes on Facebook, Jimmy starts talking about the mind control virus, and then he re relates this mental conversation he has. 
He's talking about rabies. He keeps building up to it. He's going to say rabies. And that virus is rabies. Woohoo! (laughs) Glad you were able to spot what was coming. (laughs) All right, Jimmy. So what do we have for Mysterious Headlines this week? Our theme for Mysterious Headlines is finding things under other things. So (laughs) if you were in Norway, where they have lots of ice covering things, and you go to a particular mountain pass, well, it turns out that under the ice, there were artifacts from Viking days. And this pass was like a... It's been compared to a Viking highway. They found all kinds of stuff there. Here's a uh, quote about what they found. Among those early finds was a 1,700-year-old tunic. So that would go back to the AD 300s. The oldest piece of clothing, this tunic, the oldest piece of clothing ever discovered in Norway and one that is puzzlingly complete, perhaps tossed off by a traveler in the delirious late stages of hypothermia. Mm. So somebody might have tossed it off suffering hypothermia, you know, kind of like people did in Dyatlov Pass or the boys from Yuba City. <laughs> right. Or maybe he was turning into a werewolf and he was casting off his human clothing. So that's a possibility. too. Yes. On the other hand, if you you can find stuff under things other than ice, if you look under the ground, you will find sometimes underground fires that burn for thousands of years turns out there are coal fires underground and humans have been starting more of them lately and they can burn for hundreds or thousands of years underneath the earth so uh check that out too excellent all right so this is the part where we ask you for your feedback we want to hear your theories about the apparitions at akita and you can let us know online by visiting sqpn.com or the Jimmy Akin's Mysterious World Facebook page, or send us an email to mysterious at sqpn.com, or send a tweet to at mys underscore world with the hashtag of Mysterious Feedback. Jimmy Akin's Mysterious World is also brought to you in part through the generous support of Aaron Ferguson Electric and Automation, making connections for life for your automation and smart home needs in North and Central Florida at aaronv.com. So Jimmy, what's our next episode going to be about? Our next episode is episode 100, so it's our mysterious celebration. Look forward to it. Excellent. Folks, remember to like this episode on Jimmy Akin's Mysterious World on Facebook and retweet it on Twitter. And uh, p- please share it with uh, your friends and let people know about the show. We'd greatly appreciate it. You can find links to Jimmy's resources from our discussion and links to the mysterious headlines on our show notes at sqpn.com slash mysterious. And remember, to help us continue to produce the podcast, please visit sqpn.com slash give. Until next time, Jimmy Yakin, thank you for exploring with us our mysterious world. Thanks, Dom, and sayonara gozaimasu. Once again, I'm Dom Bettinelli. Thank you for listening to Jimmy Yakin's Mysterious World on StarQuest. <laughs>